Hello, I'm Sheena Donaldson, Knowledge Manager at SIPS, and today I'm joined by Dick Jennings to discuss the contract clause force majeure. Dick is a city-trained commercial lawyer, and in the 80s he learned his craft at head office positions with two of the great FMCG businesses of the day, Guinness and Roundtree. He then joined the burgeoning and very commercial legal scene in Leeds and has been based in Yorkshire ever since. Dick has been a full member of SIPS for 25 years, and is still one of only a handful of practitioners to be both a solicitor and MSIPS qualified. Dick was active in the SIPS legal committee for many years, delivering specialist training courses for SIPS, writing for supply management, and being very active with the Leeds branch. Dick, welcome and thank you for joining me to generate this first majeure webinar. How are you? I'm very well, Sheena. It's nice to be with you. Lovely. It's nice to see you. Um, so we'll move firstly uh, on to our first slide, um, just so you can give us an overview. So Dick, could you offer us an overview of the force majeure clause, please? Yes, certainly. Well, force majeure means all kinds of things in different jurisdictions around the world. And in a contract, it means whatever the contract happens to say it, it means. So it's dangerous generalizing, but I'm going to generalize. Force majeure is generally going to mean something really major, that stops you dead in performing a contract which you couldn't have controlled which you couldn't have reasonably foreseen and which you can't get round okay Later. that makes that makes sense thank you dick so as we're currently um operating within the um time frame of the coronavirus why is now a good time to be discussing force majeure well, it's, it's you and me, Sheena, and everybody else. We're all talking about force majeure all of a sudden. And that is because it's not, it's not so much because of COVID-19, it's because of the lockdown. Um, as soon as we had the lockdown in China, um, the Chinese authorities started declaring force majeure, which they may or may not be entitled to do, but in principle they can do under Chinese law. And that started rippling out over the world um, because China is so important in everybody's supply chains. And people immediately started chattering about force majeure. And uh, uh, it's genuine, it's not just chatter, it's genuinely a very topical issue. There are going to be a lot of very tense discussions going on about force majeure as we speak. Lovely, that's, that's a very valid point you make there, Dick. So um, if we move um, on to our next point, could you offer an example of when a supplier could utilize the force majeure clause? Yes, certainly. Well, um, I'm gonna take an example uh, based on circumstances, which I think we all know about from just reading press reports. Um, say you're a, a buyer for boots. Um, I know nothing about the actual situation at Boots, so please, I'm just using the name. I hope nobody at Boots gets offended if I, if this turns out to be an unrealistic example. But say you're a buyer at Boots and you have a contract to buy um, own label paracetamol from a generic pharma manufacturer in India. And I'm saying that because you know, it's where a lot of generic pharma is manufactured, so it's, it's quite likely true or something like it. Um, the Indians get the active ingredient from Chinese suppliers, as a lot of us now know from reading the press, because that's all gone wrong. Um, due to the lockdown in China, 
um, the Indians uh, found that they were unable to get new supplies of the active ingredient. The Indian government um, brought in uh, a, an export ban on certain types of pharmaceutical product, uh, I believe including paracetamol, and suddenly uh, we were all talking about that. Now, there's a contract, let's say, between the Indians and Boots, uh, and the Indian manufacturer might well, at this moment, be pointing to a force majeure clause in that contract and saying, uh -uh, force majeure, we cannot supply anymore. Uh, and under this contract clause, we are not liable to you mm -hmm. for not supplying. Yeah, that's very interesting. As I say, paracetamol has been probably one of the uh, most in demand products recently as well. Um, can I flip that on its head a little bit with you there, uh, Dick, and just talk about it from the buyer's perspective? Is there a possibility that a buyer could utilise force majeure? Well, there's definitely a possibility that a buyer might like to, um, particularly in present circumstances. Um, say you're a buyer at a big hotel chain and you've got a, a big contract with a food services supplier um, and their vans are going to turn up every day with consumables um, and expect to deliver them to your hotels and expect to be paid for that. Um, and all of a sudden that doesn't suit you at all because you don't want the consumables at all, you, you can't use them. Um, you might wish to uh, claim force majeure yourself. Um, it's going to be that bit more difficult because it's not actually that you're unable to take the deliveries, it's only that you don't want them. And trying to knit that into a force majeure claim is, is going to be tricky, but it raises I think a very interesting point because um, traditionally it's been suppliers that want force majeure clauses and buyers that resist and we're looking all of us at the world a little differently now and maybe as buyers we should be embracing the force majeure concept and trying to make sure that if we allow it for the supplier we turn the clause wording to our advantage as well and make sure that in this kind of situation it can protect us too. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point that you make there, Dick, that the force majeure clause could um, support interests of both parties. Um, so if we move on to the next point um, and ask who would take the impact, would it be the buyer or supplier uh, with regards to financial losses or is it just as important that both parties work together and collaboratively to mitigate the impact of financial losses? Well, you, you've, you've raised a very interesting question there, Sheena, because um, the, there's, well, I, I'm going to answer it in, in two parts. Okay. Uh, who takes the impact? And, and, and then that other question you've got there about um, uh, collaboration, because I, I think there's, that's a very interesting one. As to who takes the impact, uh, on the face of it, if the supplier can claim force majeure, then that deprives the buyer of what would otherwise be a damages claim for non-performance. Uh, it may even, depending on the wording, deprive the buyer of the contract altogether. So it's, it's the buyer's loss, as it were. Right. Um, but uh, the supplier has to be very, very careful in invoking uh, FM 
because if this all ends up in court as it well might and the court concludes that actually this didn't amount to fm then with hindsight what the supplier has done is uh, uh, repudiate the contract and it's going to be liable for a lot of money um, so uh, supplier beware there um, for that reason uh, and also because from the buyer's point of view this isn't as black or white and white a situation as might appear um, there's a lot to be said for collaboration from the buyer's point of view you don't necessarily want to be taking the supplier to court and challenging force majeure you might it not in any case realistically be taking the supplier to court at all in present circumstances uh, you'd probably only bankrupt them in many cases um, it may be a key supplier it may be a supplier in a jurisdiction where it's not really realistic that you'd have a pop at them um, uh, Chinese suppliers not least um, in which case uh, there's a lot to be said for the buyer and seller collaborating and just agreeing something sensible uh, in place of this black and white situation under the FM clause. Yeah, I agree with you there, Dick. Actually, it's best to uh, work on those relationships rather than put unnecessary pressure on them. OK, so if we moved on to our next day of discussion, um, when we're thinking about building our contracts originally and we're wanting to negotiate a force majeure clause into them, would you anticipate that could um, risk a price increase at all uh, with regards to the negotiated original price points? I, it's, it's always possible, isn't it? And, you know, we're buyers and, and, and that's going to be the key issue is, is price. Um, uh, I would flip that on its head and, and say that if the supplier wants an FM clause, then there's an opportunity perhaps for the buyer to say, well, you can have one if you give me something off the price because now you're wanting me to effectively ensure your, your um, risks of acts of God and whatever. Um, but whether it's going to make much difference in terms of negotiating positions will depend very much on the situation because in many cases, an FM clause is really a given. Um, right. uh, custom and practice may dictate that um, uh, but buyers you know we need to look lively because very often an FM clause is something that just gets smuggled into a contract by the supplier and uh, and doesn't get sufficient interrogation on the buyer side uh, should there be an FM clause at all and if there is has it been uh, really examined closely uh, I see clauses which are quite narrow. I also see clauses which you could drive a coach and horses through, um, <laughs> uh, which, you know, a buyer should never allow. Yes, this is it. It is all about protecting what we're looking to achieve at the end of the day. Um, so based yeah. on that, is a force majeure clause the right thing to have in a contract, Dick? Well, I, if, if, if I'm a supplier, particularly, um and particularly in a long-term commitment i would say very definitely yes because uh, as a supplier i may be happy to uh to be liable for my own failures but i will not be at all happy being liable for things that are outside my control um okay. and i'll be particularly unhappy
being liable for things outside my control that don't just stuff my ability to perform your contract, but all my contracts, because then I'm suddenly liable to my entire customer base all at once. And that's a potentially fatal situation. So, uh, yeah, particularly as a supplier, I, I would be very attached to FM. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a risky position to put themselves in, isn't it, at the end of the day? Yeah. Um, so if we looked at it from a different perspective, if a buyer was not open for business, and again, we can put that in, in concept with regards to um, what we're facing at the moment around the coronavirus outbreak. So if the buyer wasn't open um, to take a delivery of goods, would the supplier be within their rights to pass any costs back to the buyer? Well, from a supplier's point of view, if the buyer can't take delivery, uh, in fact, you don't need to invoke FM, it's outside the supplier's control, but it, it's clearly not the supplier's fault. It's the buyer's fault, as it were, if the buyer can't take delivery. So the supplier uh, would be entitled uh, potentially to say, well, here are your goods or we can provide your services whether or not you want them. We're going to invoice. Um, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And if I put it in a different perspective a little bit um, uh, again, if you are trading internationally, which many of us do with our global supply chains, could I ask which party's law would apply? Well, now that's a very big question in this context, Gina, because a lot rides on it. Um, uh, it might be the buyer's uh, uh, law or it might be the seller's law or it might be the choice of the parties in the contract. So right. if you've got a Chinese supplier, um, the Chinese courts might assume jurisdiction. If you're an English buyer, uh, Scottish buyer, um, uh, you may find that your local courts will take jurisdiction. Um, you can end up with quite a, a, a difficult mess because it can be unclear uh, which jurisdiction is is right and that's why it's very important in any international contract to specify in the contract uh, an English law is widely respected around the world it's a good choice for everybody and you know put English law down in that contract and most courts in the world will respect that Okay, that's that's a really interesting and valid point that you make there as well to to identify which law applies in your contract. Um, so, what if there isn't a force majeure clause, um, Dick, in in the contract anywhere? What would happen in that instance? Well, um, then you're back to other concepts and other provisions in the contract. Um, let's look at other provisions in the contract first. Um, even if there isn't a force majeure clause. There, there will be a default clause um, uh, and there'll also possibly be a material adverse change clause, an MAC clause. So uh, an MAC clause wouldn't say, uh, help, there's a lockdown, we can't perform. Mm. Uh, it would say, help, we've got massive added costs unexpectedly, we can therefore put our price up. Okay. Um, so you've got that sort of... Um, contractual situation as well um, you've actually on the on the buyer side you've got the the fact that uh, under um, contract law certainly English contract law you have to mitigate your loss so you you can't just sit back anyway and claim what you like it's not a blank check 
your damages claim against the supplier. Um, uh, and apart from those contractual issues, there's the law of the land. Um, in the continental codified law tradition, um, what historically people call uh, Roman law, um, force majeure tends to apply as part of the law of the land. It's in the legal code. And that's the case in China as well. Um, wow. So even if force majeure isn't in the contract, it may be in the law. Um, but in uh, our own uh, common law tradition, and that extends not just to the Commonwealth countries, but the US as well, uh, we don't recognize force majeure. It's a, it's a funny little French term, and we don't, we don't know about such things. We, but we do have a sort of FM light in English law, and that's the law on frustration. A contract can be said to be frustrated if it's become impossible to perform. And it work, I'll, I'll just keep it short, but um, it works like force majeure, but, but, but a lot more tightly. It's quite difficult to prove frustration. Right. Um, I'll actually, I'll give you a very brief example. There was a chap uh, in 1902 who hired an apartment on Pall Mall so that he and his wife could get a really good view of the coronation procession of King Edward VII. Okay? Yeah. And King Edward VII got a cold or something, and the, the coronation was put off by a week or so. Um, so this person had got this contract, he'd paid a deposit, but suddenly he really had no interest at all in hiring the apartment that day, because there was going to be nothing to see. Understandable. And yeah, that went to court when the uh, apartment owner tried to claim for the rest of the contract price. And uh, the contract was held to have been frustrated because it was founded on the idea that this procession was happening and it wasn't and it was nobody's fault and the contract was simply discharged. Right. Uh, that's, that's frustration. Okay. There's, there's something... Um, that can have similar effect in our law, which is illegality. Uh, no court is going to enforce a contract that's become illegal. Okay. So if it has become illegal because of the lockdown to do whatever it is, mm -hmm. then maybe the contract suddenly become unenforceable anyway. Okay, that's that's a really valid point that you make there as well, Dick. So it's good for us as buyers to be mindful about um, the different elements there may be within law uh, behind yeah. the contract themselves as well. That's fantastic. Thank you. Um, so moving on to probably one of our uh, final points and think about from a protection point of view for our organisations. Um, just to ask briefly, would business insurance cover any financial losses to an organisation uh, due to force majeure, do you know? Well, potentially, yes. Um, and that should have quite an effect on how aggressive one is dealing with the supplier who's claiming force majeure of course um, there may be loss of profit uh, insurance there may be business interruption cover um, so to some extent a business uh, may be covered against those uh, um, financial consequences of uh, breach of contract i i would take all of that with a lot of caution though you know talk to one's insurance colleagues Mm -hmm. seek to understand what the cover is and how far it extends probably 
it doesn't extend half as far as we all wish it did in present <laughs> circumstances. So uh, it, it will, it's part of the picture. Okay, uh, so a little so, bit of mindfulness and some discussions to be had yeah. with, with uh, some of our key yeah. stakeholders there as well then. Yeah. Okay. And do you think that would apply for just general business interruption as well, Dick? Do you think that insurance would be a, a viable consideration? Uh, potentially, yes. But, um, you know, insurance is a lot more limited and a lot more difficult for loss of profit, which is probably what we're talking about, yeah. rather than direct losses such as you know, burglary and fire and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, and, and the terms are, are often pretty tight. Um, I mean, they may even exclude uh, precisely the sort of things such as pandemics, uh, which we're currently concerned with. Yes. So, yes. you know, there's no substitute for talking to the insurance team or the broker and understand, understanding specifically what your business is currently insured for and how that's going to play out given the lockdown. Lovely. Thank you, Dick. So a lot of conversations to be had when uh, we all resume business as usual um, and questions. But what I wanted to do is um, pass on my thanks to you personally, Dick, for, for joining me today. And thank you, our, our members, uh, for taking time to view this webinar on Force Majeure. Um, Dick's also provided us with a, a supporting knowledge paper that's available through the SIPs. Um, website if you go in and view the the knowledge area so if you'd like more information around procurement supply chain issues um, or if you'd like to discuss some of the challenges you're facing with SIPs themselves then do get in touch with us and there's a lot of good guidance material that is available on the SIPs website and through the knowledge area so thank you very much for your time today Dick it's been great speaking to you. Oh, a pleasure Sheena thanks. Thank you.